0: How y'all doing today? Felt like tapping into my inner south there this morning. How y'all doing today? So awesome. Good to have you in the house of God. Just an incredible time of worship together and just just a great spirit in the house. We, we did recover from the weekend. Uh, it was a, a busy, crazy weekend, but the Lord was good and faithful and did so many incredible things. And um, before I get to the message here today, if you're new, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at GT. We're so honored that you would gather with us and spend time, whether joining us in person or also joining us online, we keep receiving some incredible testimonies from uh, our online community. People that um, either don't live close enough to be in person, or for whatever reason, because of work or different seasons of life they're in, they can't join us in person. And the Lord is doing some incredible things, even through our online community. So we just praise God for that uh, awesome ministry. But before I get to the message here today, I'm excited because we're starting a new series. Um, I want to share a couple pastoral moments. Uh, I like to do this a couple times a year just to kind of speak to some things from uh, what I would call a shepherd's heart or a pastoral heart around some, uh, sometimes it's current issues or current events. Sometimes it's just uh, cultural trends or some different things that are happening. But today, uh, I want to speak to you in regards to two topics that I think are so important for the body of Christ, and those topics are membership and also giving. So everyone just take a deep breath, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Uh, as many of you know who have been with me for the last year, I'm never afraid to talk about certain subjects As some people go, let's not go there, let's not go there. And I think as the body of Christ, we need to be willing to go there. now. Uh, when it comes to membership, uh, we made the announcement that there, there, there is a membership class that is coming up on May 10th. It's been going out in the email. I know for a lot of people, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about what membership is. Some people think because they attend on Sunday mornings that they are automatically members. We just had our annual general meeting uh, two weeks ago. And um, it was a great meeting. It was a great time. We had a lot to give thanks for and praise for and celebrate the goodness of God even through the last two crazy years, how God was faithful to look after His children, how the people of God are still gathering uh, even after that two years. But one thing I noticed, and it was to me glaringly notice is we have so many people that attend GT but aren't necessarily members of GT, that they're not the same thing. A member is someone who's gone through the class, gone through the teaching, the training, has applied for membership. And with membership, there comes uh, a certain level of, of expectations, and there comes also a voice to speak to the culture of GT, whether it's through board nominations and those that sit on the board, whether it's through different things we might be voting on at times for, for policy and updates and our amendments and bylaws. And I just want to encourage you as the body of Christ that is here today, that I know we're in a season where a lot of people, a lot of people are afraid of committing to certain things. They like being a part of things, but when it comes to that next tier of commitment, sometimes there can be a little bit of hesitation around that for whatever reason, and and it's very common, especially among the younger generations. I wanna encourage you with this simple truth. We need you at the table here at GT. We have a very diverse church, ethnically, gender and generationally and we need you at the table to be able to speak to things in our AGM meetings and so we have a healthy church we have a healthy culture but if I can be transparent with you our membership doesn't always reflect the beauty and diversity of our church so I want to encourage you on May 10th we have that meeting if you've been thinking about it if you've been praying about it I'm going to give you a thus saith the Lord right now really not just thus saith Tim Woodcock I want to encourage you take out membership become a membership we need your voice at the table and it's a good thing to belong to we have an incredible incredible church and then you get to see the the tears of giving and all the things that we're involved in it's just a great layer of accountability we belong to a great denomination denomination called the Pentecostals Assemblies of Canada it's a great umbrella of accountability I'm so proud Of our denomination for how they're leading in the season. Uh, We had part of our business session uh, this past week online. We have the other meeting coming in person in May, and uh, we introduced some new things, some new legislation at our uh, business meeting, Uh, a specific thing, a resolution on uh, abuse of power and things around that. And I was just so encouraged to see our denomination take kind of a stand on some things and just lead the charge in that realm. And so it's a, it's a phenomenal fellowship. Uh, but because we belong to that, we have to have a voting membership. And we encourage you to uh, go explore the meeting, see what it's about, find out our doctrinal stance. We'd love to have you a part of it. The next thing I want to talk about is giving. And I'm not talking about this because we're in any dire need. Um, this is an extremely generous church. An extremely generous church. And because of your generosity, we're able to do incredible things like support a significant amount for missions uh, every month, like the Easter egg outreach. Our mayor showed up and she literally said to me, she said, who funds the bill for all this? And I said, we do. We budget for this every single year. And she was blown away by the generosity of what we were doing there at the park. And what a great witness for the Church of Jesus Christ, not just Glad Tidings Church, but the Church of Jesus Christ to be there at LaSalle Park, just blown Blessing the community in an incredible way. And it comes through generosity. You know, many years ago, my father, he told me, he said, Tim, I want you to understand these three principles and truths for your life as you grow older. He said, number one, work diligently. Secondly, give generously. And then thirdly, live minimally. And as a young man, I took to heart those three principles. And I I began to uh, implement them into my everyday life. The number one, I want to be a person that is working diligent. He said to me, Tim, as long as you are capable of working, work. Be diligent in your work. Be steadfast in your work. Whether you're passionate about the job or not, you can't give away that which you do not have. And I want to encourage you that you never want to get to a place in your life where you're becoming so dependent always on the generosity of, of others. You want to be able to work to provide for yourself. And I, I, I want to say this. We're always more capable than we think. And we're always more capable than others may say about us as well. And so from a, at 14 years old, my first job, you know where it was, Quentin? Canadian Tire. 14 years old was my first job. And I learned so much about just work and the value of work and just the earning of the check. And then at a, a young age, I began to set aside an amount of my earnings. Give generously. My dad would tell me, say, Tim, give of your time, give of your talents, and give of your tithes. And so you don't just give in one area, you give in all three areas. Your time, your talent, and your tithe. If you don't have money to give, then yes, you give of your time, you give of your talent. But I want to encourage you to give generously in all three of those areas. The tithe is simply significant of what's called a a, a tenth of your income. Now in the Old Testament, it was actually about 22% because they gave of their tithes. But the real idea behind the tithe is simply this. Give of your first fruits every week. When the Lord blesses you with a check, number one, it's all His. Everyone say, it's all His. Your ability to work, your ability to earn income is because of the goodness and blessing of God. And so by giving an amount, I don't want to be legalistic around that amount. That, that's between you and God. But I want to encourage you, give something. And by giving something, you're saying, Lord, I trust you with that which you have allowed me to steward. And I trust that you are my ultimate provider, even above my job, even above my career, even above my ability to earn income. And it's actually an act of worship for us as the body of Christ. And when we give, we want to give to things that we can trust in. That's why we have membership. That's why we have a board. That's why we have levels of accountability. But we also want to give in a way that's sacrificial that we say, Lord, I'm trusting the church with what they are going to do with this for the greater extension of your kingdom. So, uh, give her your time, give of your talents, and give of your tithes. And then that third thing, uh, live minimally. Dave Ramsey always says this, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are b- broke and bankrupt. All right? <laughs> All right? Le- amen? All right? Learn to live minimally. And that's been something my wife and I have tried to do for many, many years. Um, 18 years of marriage coming up in May. And uh, we, amen. So... We are, we are debt-free, and, and uh, we, we, we hope to keep it that way, though this housing market will be interested to see how that works out. But, um, so live minimally. Live within your means, and you can never outgive God. Amen? I'm not saying that as correction. I'm not saying that because there's a problem here at GT. There isn't. But as a pastor, I, I just feel we have to address those every once in a while. It's a part of our spiritual formation. It's a part of our discipleship. but I'd rather say it in the good times rather than say it in the bad times where it's like, all right, I need to pressure everyone to give. I never want to do that. I want to be able to in- continually encourage the body of Christ in a form of discipleship that this matters. Give of your time. Give of your talents. Give of your, your, your finances, your ties, and just trust God with everything that he's provided for you. All right, that's it for that. You ready to get into the Word? All right, if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 24. This morning, uh, we are starting a new series called This Is What Jesus Does. Everyone say that. This is what Jesus does. Before I get to the text here today, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever fallen for the trap of ordering something online from an advertisement that looked so incredible, and you bought it, and then when it arrived, it was nothing like you thought it would be? Have you ever had that experience where you saw a commercial, you saw an ad, and you said, like, Napoleon Dynamite, the movie, I want that. I need that in my life, right? I want, And then you order it, and it comes in, and you go... This is nothing like what I saw in that. Anybody ever experienced that? Can I get a witness in here today, all right? I see that, Ann. I see that. We've all experienced that. It's this realm of what some people call an anticlimactic situation. Have you ever hoped for something to turn out a certain way and then it didn't turn out that way? Have you ever put your faith, hope, and trust in something that you believed in and then that thing let you down in life? Have you ever had a sports team that you were believing that this is the year? Right? All us Toronto Raptors fans, right? This is the year. We're going to pr- prove Shaquille O'Neal to be a liar when he says the Raptors are going to get swept. And I'm like, not this year. We got the depth, we got the talent. And all of a sudden we go down O three 3 in the series, right? So there's this sense of anticlimactic. We hope that something would turn out a certain way, and then it did not turn out that way. Now this morning we are going to begin a new series called This is What Jesus Does, where we look at several post-resurrection accounts where we see Jesus intentionally pursuing certain groups of people to reveal himself as the resurrected Lord. And today we're going to look at a very familiar story where we see disappointment in what two guys thought was going to happen that didn't quite turn out in the way that they had anticipated. And my heart over the next three weeks as we look in this series is that we see the radical love of Jesus in pursuing people that gave up on him. That we ultimately serve a God who never gives up on his children. We serve a God who is relentless in the pursuit of his heart, of the hearts of his children. We serve a God that no matter how many times we turn our back on him, he says, I'm coming after you, I'm pursuing you, and I'm after your heart. So I want you to stand for the reading of God's word here this morning. We have a big portion of scripture to read today. But I think it's important that we always bring reverence to the reading of God's Word because it is the authority of His Word that we subject ourselves here today to. Amen? We submit ourselves, our hearts and our lives to the eternal, timeless truths of the Word of God. And In Luke chapter 24, we see two despairing fools. We pick it up in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes and besides all this it is now the third day since these things happened. moreover some women of our company amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive and some of those who are with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see and he said to them oh Foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Everyone say it. Jesus is perfect theology. Say it. Jesus is perfect theology. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, I love this, underline this in your Bibles, highlight it. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated this morning. Now I want us to see this here today that I believe when we look at this text, when we look at this incredible story, we see this truth that That more than anything else, these two disciples, these two fools on the road to Emmaus, these two fools full of despair, they were anticipating that this Jesus of Nazareth would be the long-awaited Messiah who would redeem Israel. Who would crush her enemies and restore her back to prominence like the days of the reign of King David. Over and over again when you see the scriptures talk about the time of David or the rule and reign of David. And it's connected to what's called messianic promises. It was a reminder of how good things were at during the rule and reign of David. And how when Messiah comes, when the anointed one comes, it's going to be like that time in Israel's history but far better. And so these two fools, they're anticipating that this Jesus, he could in fact be Messiah that's going to usher in the kingdom of God that will be better than the rule and reign of David. And what they are hoping for is that this Messiah would essentially make Israel great again. That for the people of Israel of Jesus' day, they wanted their nation to be restored back to prominence. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and when things don't take, transpire the way that, that they hoped for or anticipated, they begin to question and wonder, is he in fact the Messiah? And so they were devastated because what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. They were so sure what the will of God was, and then like that, it was all taken away from them. They were so convinced of who Jesus was going to be and what he would do that they almost missed who Jesus actually was and what he did indeed do. They were so convinced of who the Messiah would be and how he would usher in the kingdom that they almost missed who Messiah actually was and what he did do. And so they found themselves in this deep place of despair because their Messiah had been crucified on a cross. And on this side of the cross, we know it as a very significant and spiritual event in the Christian historical church. But in their first century context, no Messiah would end up being crucified on the cross. It was a sign of defeat. Timothy Keller said this, any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is a stranger to the cross. Any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is actually a stranger to the cross. So many times, even as Christians, if we're honest and we're transparent, we follow the way of Jesus and the way of Christianity more for what we get out of it or more for what we think we'll get out of it rather than just simply being completely devoted followers of Jesus that involves suffering, that involves pain, that involves agony, that involves dying to self over and over and over again. Now, this word despair, it speaks of a loss of hope. It speaks of to give up hope, or it speaks of a hopelessness. And I want to ask you this question here this morning. Have you ever been there? Have you ever given up hope? Have you ever allowed disappointment to steal your hope? We were there watching the game together, several of us on uh, the other night. I think it was Friday evening or one of those evenings, something um not friday we're watching the raptors game game three and i thought you know they've lost two but if they can win game three the whole series can turn around and we're sitting there watching the game and they miss free throws at the end of the game anybody see the game They miss the most easy thing when it comes to basketball, the most simple thing. Like when I coached, I said, those are gimme points. Those got to be automatic. And I would tell my assistant coaches all the time when we went on the road and we were playing tough teams, I would say, number one, grab an extra uniform because because, uh, high school kids are a bunch of knuckleheads and they always forget their uniform. Number two, pack our water bottles. We want to make sure we're hydrated. And number three, pack the free throws. Make sure our guys are ready to go on free throws because free throws often are the thing that win and lose the game. The Raptors lost game three because they missed some simple free throws at the end of the game. And so there I was thinking this could be it. This could be the turnaround of the series. And like that, we're down to 0-3 right and so there's i know it's a sports analogy and it's not the same as life but it's a simple thing there was this sense of despair i thought oh no the series is now over thankfully they won game four but we'll see what happens as they go back to philly now proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says this hope deferred makes the heart sick but desire fulfilled is a tree of life What I want us to see this morning is that it is in this place of despair, in this place of hopelessness, that the gospel writer Luke reveals to us that Jesus, he goes after these two disciples, he pursues them, and in fact, he actually meets them in their place of despair. Why? Because this is what Jesus always does. He doesn't leave people in their place of despair. He doesn't leave people in their place of hopelessness. But Jesus is one who is always pursuing the hearts of his people. And he comes and he meets people right where they're at. And so the first thing that we see from the text here this morning is simply this. That Jesus, he actually comes to them. Now think about this for a moment jesus did not have to pursue anyone that left his side after the resurrection i believe in conquering death hell and the grave that jesus would have been fully justified in saying i tried with you guys but you're a bunch of boneheads you messed up you missed it you weren't there in my deepest darkest hour i'm going to ascend into the heavens now and i'm going to intercede on your behalf from there But what we read about in the Gospels is that over and over again, Jesus, he comes to them. He goes after them. He's relentless in his pursuit to reveal himself to them. In Psalm 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in what? In trouble. He's a very present help in trouble. Now, you've heard me say many times that when we read and study the Scriptures... We must see the heart of God in pursuing his people. That God is so committed to us that he does not desire to leave us in our mess. He does not desire to leave us in our brokenness. He does not desire to leave us in our despair. And so he comes and he meets us right where we're at so that we might be healed of our mess. So that we might be healed of our brokenness. So that we might be healed of our despair. The psalmist said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist doesn't say that we get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say that we camp out in the valley of the shadow of death and we have ourselves a little pity party. No, he says, though I walk through it, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That yes, you will go through valleys in life. And yes, you will experience brokenness in your life. But we worship a God who is so committed to us as his people that he says, I don't want you to remain there. But I want to lead you through this moment and leads you to the next mountaintop experience that I have for you. See, unfortunately, many times, we as Christians, we often hold to a more deistic way of thinking when it comes to God. In the theological realm, there's two ideas, that of deism and that of theism. And so deism, the common theme, is that a creator, sometimes referred to as a God, brought life into being but now chooses to live detached from his creation. Some have called this a great watchmaker idea that God, or a God, or a deity, kind of created the world, created the cosmos, wound it up like an old school clock, and just left it to its being and has no interaction with his creation anymore. That's unfortunately how sometimes we as Christians think about God. God's not concerned about my struggle. God's not concerned about my brokenness. My brokenness isn't big enough for him. My brokenness isn't important enough to him. There's bigger problems happening in the world. That's a deistic way of thinking about God. But a theistic realm, which is the way of Christianity, is the belief in an eminent God who actively intervenes in the affairs of men. In fact, I would propose to you that the Holy Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is a great story about how God is intricately involved in the affairs of mankind. He wants to be involved in this world that he created. He wants to be involved in your life. And there is no situation that you are facing right now that is too small for him. He sees you in your place of hopelessness. He sees you in your place of brokenness. He sees you in your place of despair. And he wants to come to you and meet you right where you're at to help lead you out of that Everyone say it. Out of that place. Say it again. Out of that place. And so Jesus, he comes and reveals this to the two fools. That while they are walking away from Jesus and giving up hope on who he was and what he accomplished, Jesus is walking towards them. Come on. While they are walking away from Jesus, while they are leaving Jerusalem, Jesus goes after them. They may be walking away and giving up hope, but Jesus says, I'm not walking away, and I'm not giving up hope. And that, beloved, is a huge motif when it comes to the good news of Jesus. Secondly, we see this from the text, that he opens their blind eyes to truth and reveals himself as the crucified And resurrected Lord. He opens their blind eyes. Psalm 146.8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. Now there are many truths that all humans, I believe, have been given natural abilities to be able to discover. We call this natural revelation in the theological world. That the very fact that we live in a world that has beauty. The very fact that we live in a world that is ordered that is set up perfectly and intertwined perfectly. The very fact that even the human anatomy, the body, shows this idea of a beautiful designer. I believe that all people are exposed to this realm of what's called common grace or natural revelation. That Paul says, really none of us are without excuse because the whole order of creation points to a great creator. However, there are some truths that only come through special revelation, by Jesus supernaturally revealing himself for who he really is. And his desire is that all would know him and receive him as Lord. He is always making himself known, but often we are not open to how he is making himself known. How many people remember the day that you, I'll say it this way, you got saved? You gave your life to Jesus. You said, I want him to be Lord of your life. How many people got saved later in life? How many people, when you look at, look back at that day, but look at all the days leading up to that day, you know that God was actually after you the whole time. And now on this side of it, you look back and go, wow. I was kind of blind to the truth. I was ignoring the truth. But yet God in his goodness, in his grace, he was making himself known. But I didn't have eyes to see. I didn't have ears to hear. And so this is what we see in the story, that Jesus is present with them and they don't even re- re- understand that he's with them. But there comes a moment in their life through the work of the Holy Spirit where he is awakened. He is opened, They are opened up to the truth of who Jesus actually is. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians one twenty-two through 25, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than man. And so I love it here in the text that he's with them. He's present. He's come to them in their place of despair, in their place of hopelessness. And then he begins to reveal himself and open up their blind eyes to the truth. Number three, we see from the text here that he ignites passion in their hearts hearts. In fact, they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke with us? That the encounter they had with a resurrected Lord was stirring up passion and desire in their hearts even before they ever recognized who he was. That I believe the Spirit was calling them and wooing them in that moment. In John chapter 10 verse 10 it says, the thief comes only to steal And kill and destroy. But I, being Jesus, have come that they may have what? Life and have it more abundantly. You see, when passion encounters unmet expectations, it often leads to apathy and despair. When passion encounters unmet expectations, it often leads to apathy and despair in our lives. And so many times, the problem with unmet expectations is that we somehow think that if God doesn't act in the way we anticipate He should act, or if God doesn't accomplish things in the time frame that we think is right or best, then He has somehow let us down or isn't concerned. I want to say this. God is never off schedule. And you've heard me say this before, that God is never on plan B. He's always on plan A. We feel like we're on plan B. We feel like we're on plan whatever. And God says, I'm always on time. I'm always working. I'm always accomplishing. I'm always fulfilling my will. Yes, it doesn't line up with your timeline and the way you want things to happen. But let us remember, we're not God and he is. So many times we come to God with preconceived ideas of how we want things to happen in the way and the time frame. And when it doesn't happen that way, let's be honest, let's be transparent, we get discouraged. We get frustrated. Our unmet expectations are exposed to this realm that it didn't happen that way. And really what we wrestle with is we, we can't deal with the fact that we're not God. And we don't know ultimate and don't know all that is best. And so often what happens is this leads to this despair where we see people so often say, God let me down. No, he did not. It doesn't mean that you weren't discouraged. It doesn't mean that you weren't angry at God. It doesn't mean that you didn't feel a sense of injustice and you were probably justified in the natural realm of that injustice, but I want to say this. God does not let us down. We let ourselves down and then we let one another down over and over again. And we try to appropriate that to a God who is only good, who is only perfect, who is only holy. And we see this here that he comes and he He ignites passion in their hearts because they were let down. They were discouraged. They were frustrated. Jesus comes and says, guys, you thought it was going to happen this way, but it wasn't going to happen that way. But make no mistake, it did, in fact, happen. And so we must learn to see that Jesus is always working to accomplish his purpose and his will. And it's that we often aren't recognizing his will unfolding right before us because it's coming in a different way than we anticipated or expected. There's a great singer-songwriter by the name of Jason Upton. He wrote a song several years ago called Road to Emmaus. And there's a line in there, and he's writing predominantly in an American context because that's where he lives. He, He makes this statement that I thought was so powerful, so prevalent even for today. He says this, have you ever been angry at your country? Have you ever been angry at your God? Have you ever been so angry that you can't see what you've got right in front of you? Have you ever been so angry, so frustrated, so full of despair that you can't see all that you have right in front of you. You see, anger, rage, despair, bitterness, I believe, block and hinder us from seeing what God is doing and how God is, in fact, accomplishing his purposes. Simply put, despair will blind you from the purposes of God. If you camp out in despair, if you remain in despair, it's not a sin to feel let down. It's not a sin to feel discouraged or feel frustrated because things didn't happen the way you hoped for. But if you remain in that, if you camp out there, if you get stuck in that moment, then it will blind you from the purposes of God. And you will miss what God is doing and how God is working because you're so full of these other things. You see, in the story of the two fools, the kingdom of God came in an unusual and unprecedented way to these early disciples, but it did, in fact, come. And I believe it is continuing to come in unusual ways today. And so, the question that we have to ask ourselves over and over again do we recognize it? Do we embrace it? Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear how Jesus is relentlessly pursuing his people and accomplishing his will in the earth today? Or are we so blocked by our despair? Are we so blocked by our hopelessness? Are we so blocked by our anger and our frustration that we don't even recognize what he's doing right now in this moment? This is the story of the two fools on the road to Emmaus. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't leave them there. And the good news for us here today, Jesus does not want to leave you there. He does does not want you camping out in the midst of of hopelessness, in the midst of brokenness. Doesn't mean the pain's not real. Doesn't mean the trauma wasn't real. It doesn't mean that you're not wrestling with things. But we have a God who is so intertwined with his creation that he is coming after his children. And he says, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want to reconcile you. And I want to fix what you cannot fix. Trust me and allow me to be at work in your lives. But the truth is, oftentimes we become comfortable with the miserable, don't we? I don't want to be miserable. Okay. Then why are you always miserable? Because you're comfortable in the place of being miserable. And what we see here is that Jesus says, I don't have that for you. Yes, it was real. Yes, you were disappointed. Yes, it was hard. But I want to lead you out of that place into your purpose and destiny that I have for you to walk in. Amen? So I want us to stand to our feet here this morning. And worship team, if you would come out. I want us to close with two prayers here today. And maybe you want to take a picture of this. Maybe you want to write it down. These are two prayers I want you to pray every single morning this week. So I'm giving you a little bit of homework. Are you okay with that? I'm giving you a little bit of homework this week. Every morning, I want you to wake up. And before you do anything, I want you to pray these two prayers. All right? Everyone, let's make a commitment to this. I will... Pray these two prayers every single morning, all right? And here they are, God, help me to be open to whatever you want to accomplish in my life in 2022. Help me not to put you in a box. And then secondly, God, help me to be open to how you want to accomplish those things in 2022. Help me to pray the prayer of Jesus in the garden, not my will, but yours be done, O Father. Those are two of the most challenging prayers that we will ever learn to pray, especially that, not my will, but yours be done, O Father. When I begin to get a glimpse of what I feel like is the heart of God, my mind as a visionary visionary, is to go into all the different steps that need to happen for it to take place. And I believe that God leads us in how to lay out strategic plans and to spend time developing systems, to cultivate things. That's that's not necessarily bad, but often in that, if I'm not careful, I begin to box God in. I begin to set up the parameters for how God can and can't move. And then he comes and does something that just blows open my box and I'm disrupted by it. I'm discouraged by it. And so I'm learning. And the last couple years have been teaching me to better embrace this god i know you're always moving i know you're always working help me to be open give me eyes to see give me ears to hear how you are moving and what you are doing and ultimately not my will but yours be done oh father amen so i want you to pray those every single morning this week i want to pray over you and this morning if you're here And you've never made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, to make him Lord of your life. We would love to invite you to come and and experience what it means to have your eyes open. And see Jesus as the resurrected Lord, as indeed the Messiah who did come. And defeat death hell and the grave so that you might experience life we have an incredible prayer team that would love to spend time praying with you and so when i'm done praying i'm going to have the team close us in a song if you got to go we bless you go in the power and strength and goodness of his might but if you want prayer maybe to make that decision and say i want jesus to be lord of my life or maybe you're here and you're just stuck in a moment in the words of bono from you too you can't get out of it you got yourself stuck in a moment and you, you can't budge, you can't get out of it. I want to encourage you to come and people would love to pray with you and help you move forward in the goodness and faithfulness of God and get out of that moment. It is not God's heart for you to be miserable. It doesn't mean you won't suffer but in the midst of suffering there's a God worth worshipping and He desires to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death into new realms, into new places, going from glory to glory. Amen? So let me pray over you here this morning. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your people. I pray that they would walk in the countenance of your goodness and might. And Holy Spirit, help us to see, illuminate our hearts and our minds to see that you are a God who is involved in our lives. You are a God who's coming after us. You are a God who's opening up our blind eyes and you are a God who reignites passion in us. Maybe for some here, this would be the moment where, where you do something. You regenerate their hearts. You spark something in them that they make a cautious decision where they say, I want Jesus to be Lord in my life from this day forward. Maybe for others here, you would restore their first love. They've fallen in love with so many other things, or they've gotten distracted, or they've become disillusioned because things didn't happen the way they hoped. But I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would come and ignite passion in their hearts again. Restore first love. Restore first love in this place. Restore first love in this place here this morning. That you will become our ultimate desire, our soul delight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer team, if you will come up to the front. If you've got to go, bless you. If you want to close in this song, let's sing together.